God, I know you give grace to the humble, so I ask you, God, to do a deep work in my heart and break me. Break me of my pride. Break me of my selfishness. Break me of anything that keeps me from knowing you. As hard as it is to ask God, do whatever it takes to break me. Many of you will refuse to pray it. I'm simply not going to pray this prayer. I'll tell you up front, it's not a common prayer. It doesn't feel good. This prayer is not consistent with the God will always make your life better version of Christianity, okay? This prayer though, it does have the potential to open your heart up to the work of God in such a way that it can forever change your life. And the prayer that I'm going to ask you to consider praying is the prayer, break me, break me, God, break me. I received a text this week from a close friend, uh, someone that I have known for years in the church, uh, a very committed Jesus follower, and this friend said, we talked about it in our life group and we all agreed. We all wanna be closer to God, we all want the junk out of our lives, we all wanna be conformed to the image of Christ, but we really don't feel safe praying the prayer, break me. We don't really want to pray that, okay? I understand that. It is a very dangerous prayer to say, God, break me. My first experience with this whole idea of brokenness, it actually was about 21 years ago. Amy and I were leading up to the events that would allow us to start Life Church. And I was sitting with a mentor, Gary Walter, who had helped a lot of people start churches. And I was learning from him, taking notes. He was kind of helping me to understand. I was 27 at the time, didn't know much. He was coaching me, and we were about to start Life Church. I sat across from the table, maybe our third meeting or so, and we had a very solemn moment at the end um, right after he prayed for me. And it was the end of the meeting. I never will forget. He leans in, he looks at me, and he says, I have only one promise for you and one promise. I guarantee this is going to happen. Now, I was naive enough to think, and this is the honest truth, I thought Gary was gonna say, God is gonna use you in a massive way. God is gonna exceed your expectations. It's gonna be amazing. I mean, I was stupid enough to think that was his promise. I never will forget, Gary looked at me and said, my promise is this, God will break you. I was like, crap, okay. <laughs> really holy moment and you're telling me that. Well, praise the Lord, thank you Jesus. That's just what I wanted to hear. God will break you. We started the church, we hit road bump after road bump after road bump. Some heart-wrenching things happened. People we loved got hurt, we got hurt. I had to let good friends go on the staff that weren't cutting it. We got removed from a building, didn't have a place to go. Could, couldn't barely pay the bills, massive financial tension. Every time something happened, I would call Gary and say, here's what's going on. I mean, I, I mean, I'm literally aching on the inside. I said, Gary, am I broken yet? Am I broken yet? Am I broken yet? Am I broken yet? And he said, listen, listen. Finally, after the third or fourth call, I said, when you're broken, you will not have to call me and ask me if you're broken. When you're broken, you will know you are broken. Dangerous prayer. God, break me. I, at the time, could not imagine the blessings and the intimacy with God on the other side of the pain that I would one day experience. I wanna ask you to consider praying a very dangerous prayer. Not all of you will, you don't have to. This isn't like you have to pray this. 
but to consider giving God permission to do a deep work in your life. God, break me. So to study this today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at two different stories in the Bible. What's really cool is they're both side by side. They're in the very same chapter in the book of Mark. There's one story immediately followed by another story. Uh, the first story deals with a prostitute. And uh, I actually had to write a 15-page paper in seminary on this one little story, so I know way too much about it. But one of the things I remember is really trying to get into the mind of what it would have been like for this woman, because nobody in the first century wanted to be a prostitute. It wasn't like, hey, hopefully by the time I'm 21, I'll be in the top 10% of prostitutes in the community. Nobody wanted to do this. In fact, if you were a prostitute, it's only because life dealt you cards that you felt had no other way to play except for this desperate plea, because they were hated, despised, um, they were full of shame. This, she, who, who knows what that would have led this woman to this? Maybe she was a single mom and had no other way of paying for the bills. Maybe she had been abused by men, knew nothing else. Whatever it was, she was hated by every woman and used by many men, full of shame. And one day she met a man that treated her differently. Maybe for the first time from a male, she was shown honor, she was shown respect, he treated her with dignity, and he loved her appropriately. And it so transformed this woman that she wanted to worship him in the most sacrificial way that she could imagine. And her extravagant act of worship completely confused everyone else in this story. Mark chapter 14, verse three says this, and, and it's interesting to me. While, while Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman, and this is the, the sinful woman that we know from Luke's gospel. This is the sinful woman comes in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Now, first thing I want you to know, whose home was Jesus in? He was in the home of Simon the leper, okay? Everyone else would run from lepers. Jesus would befriend them and heal them. That's pretty cool. So you got, you got a rabbi, Jesus. You got a, this sounds like a joke, okay? A rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute walked into a bar, right? Okay, so you've got a rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute in this house along with some other disciples. She comes in with very expensive perfume. Now, before I go on, I want to explain the perfume to you. This perfume was so valuable, we find out later in the Gospels, that, that it was valued at like a year's worth of wages. So just imagine what you make in a year, okay? And imagine it being that valuable. Now, why was it so valuable? It's valuable because it was incredibly rare, really difficult to come by. And so ordinary women did not wear perfume because they could not afford it. Who wore perfume? Basically, it was like the calling card, okay? You invested your money into the perfume, so when you're walking by and some guy goes, oh, I see, okay, you're sending me a message that you're available, okay? So this was very, very expensive, worth a year's worth of wages, and it was essentially the source of her income to draw business. So she's got this incredibly expensive perfume, and then the next part of the verse says this, she did what with the jar? Let's all say it aloud. She did what? She broke the jar. Everybody say it again. What did she do? She broke the jar, and then what did she do? She poured the perfume on Jesus's head. She broke and poured. She broke and poured. Say it with me. What did she do? She broke and she poured. Now, some people, as we read on in the story, freaked out. Like, don't do that! Stop! 
you, know, you can imagine in slow motion them diving over there. It's so valuable! Now, I've heard preachers kind of make fun of that, say, you know, these lack of faith people, you know, they, you know, they're, stop, these worldly people. Listen to me. If I'd have been there, I would be saying the same exact thing. Woman, don't do that. I would have done that. I said, it's too valuable. Give them a drop. Give them two. Sell the rest. We'll split it up. We'll feed the poor. I mean, that's exactly what I would have been doing. And this act of worship was more extravagant than you can imagine. Essentially, she was saying, I'm giving you my whole life. I'm giving you the most valuable possession I have. This represents my past and this represents my future. In other words, I'm leaving my past life behind. I'm giving my future source of income and my life savings away. Jesus, you have loved me so that I will break open the most valuable possession that I have, what represents my livelihood. I will break it and I will pour it, all of it, poured out in one selfless, extravagant moment of worship, broken and poured. Broken and poured. That's the first story. The second story is right after the first story in the same book of the Bible. And in this story, Jesus is having his last meal. He's gathered together with his closest friends He knows what is coming, that he's going to give his life on the cross, and this is how Mark tells the story. Same chapter, verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then what did he do? Say it aloud, all of our churches. Then what did he do? Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. He said, it is what? Everybody, you all in Albany, say it aloud. He said what? He said, it is poured out as a sacrifice for many. It's broken and it's poured. Broken and poured. My body is broken for you. My blood will be poured out. My jar is broken in an act of worship, and I pour it all out because I'm giving you everything I am and everything that I have. Broken and poured. Luke reports on this same story. Luke was at the table. Mark was there. Luke was there. The rest of the disciples were there. And Luke wrote about it, and he told the story in almost the same way, but he added and picked up on something that Mark didn't point out in Mark's writing. This is what Luke said about it in Luke 22, 19. He said basically the same thing. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and did what? There it is again, and he broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. And then what did he say? He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, what is this, okay? Most of us would agree that as followers of Jesus, We gather together and we take the Lord's Supper, we take bread and we take wine or we take juice and we do this in remembrance of him. We we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus by doing this, do this in remembrance of me. 
all scholars agree that the this refers to celebrating communion or the Lord's Supper. Some scholars argue that the do this means more than just that. I tend to agree. Jesus says do this, what does it mean? Well, certainly it means to celebrate and remember what he did, but perhaps that it could also mean as he was broken and as he was poured out, we should do that as well as the ritual. Not just the ritual, but live as he lived. God calls us to live as Jesus lived and to love as Jesus loved. We are to die to ourselves daily so that we can live for his glory. So when the gospel says to do this, what if perhaps Jesus was saying, don't just do an act to remember, but may you also be broken and poured out in such a way, even as Paul said, I'm poured out like a drink offering, giving everything that I have for God's glory, broken and poured. God will break you. So we started the church. First year went by, it was really tough. Second year, I had to let some staff go. The church had gotten to several hundred people, and it was essentially only us. We had Brian Bruss was part-time. We had a bookkeeper part-time, and we were, we were hurting. The church had outgrown our capacity to handle it. Um, I had a, a good friend, and I've told a version of this story before, but I've never told it the way I'm going to tell it today. Um, before starting Life Church, we were at First United Methodist Church. Nick was my pastor, and then he had a right-hand person. And I've told this story before, and I've never said his name, and I don't know why. I think it's because somehow I just wanted to protect him. And today I want to honor him and say his name for the first time publicly, and it happened 18 years ago. Um, what I'm going to tell you about, his name was Jay. And Jay and his wife were our best friends. You've all had someone like that. I hope that when you do something together, they're the couple that we wanted to do stuff with. And... Um, Jay made a mistake, a significant mistake, when he was at First Methodist. And so he had to go to another city to bring some healing. Well, we started Life Church, and Jay and his wife said, we'd like to come and help you build the church. And we said, we would love for you to. And he said, can I be on staff? And I said, well, I would love for you to one day, but I want to see you in my context for a year to see how you're healing after what had happened. And so that seemed reasonable and fair. So I don't know what it was, six or nine months went by and things were going well. And then I found out about something that wasn't quite right. And so I, can, I confronted Jay about that. And when I did, I was young, he was relatively young. He didn't like the way I confronted him. I didn't like his response. And we went, boom! And we got into a big argument. And he left and a week went by and we hadn't spoken. And another week went by and we hadn't spoken. And I was teaching at a church called Council Road Baptist Church on a Tuesday night Bible study for young adults. And I remember the name of the message. I was teaching a message called Loving Those You Don't Like. And in the middle of the message, I'm teaching, and I was like, I was just, I just was kind of hit. I was like, I just stopped and said, I just told everybody, because that's kind of what I do sometimes, for better or for worse, you know. And I just said, I just recognize that there's someone very dear to me, and we haven't spoken over something and so when I get home tonight, I'm going to call him. This was before cell phones and such. And so Amy and I drove home, and I was like, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. I got home, and we had answer machines back then. Um, if you don't know what that is, just Google it, you know. And so <laughs> I um, pressed the answer machine, and it was Jay's wife crying, and she said, I just found him, and he had taken his own life. Okay.
That was a Tuesday, and um, his family moved in with us. I think it was a Friday that I did the funeral, and I knew something that I would, I just, more than what I would have shared at the funeral, and I carried the weight and the guilt of what if I had done something different. (laughs) That Sunday, I stood up before the little crowd of people, because that's all it was at that point, was just a little crowd of people, and I just, I broke down and I cried like crazy. I just cried like crazy, because when you're broken, you don't care what anybody thinks. And I just let it, let it all come out and said, I was overwhelmed before this. I can't continue. I need, I need your support. I'm doing what I can do, and I can't do this. And we're all broken right now. We're all grieving because everyone knew him. And I just said, I, something needs to change. I need you. And a little group of people, they all came up. I didn't even preach. Couldn't finish the sermon. And the whole little group of people prayed. And on that day... The crowd became a church. We became a church. Something was different. We were broken together. I've said this before. We impress people with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. I'll say it this way this time. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect most deeply through our brokenness. Isn't that true? We impress people with our strengths like, oh man, that's amazing, you're cool, that's amazing, I like you, all that kind of stuff, I can't believe you did that. But sometimes when somebody's so good at things, you actually don't even like them, right? To be honest, I hate her. Why? (laughs) She's so perfect. Walks around, never has a problem. Then you find out she has a problem, like, oh, I like her. <laughs> she sucks too, <laughs> you know. She's insecure too, I like her, right? We impress people with our strengths, but we connect through our brokenness. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud is a friend of mine. We t- teach leadership together sometimes in um, he's a brilliant author. He's a consultant, a leadership genius, and a psychologist. And he writes amazing books. I listened to one recently, and he said, uh, he said, I'm really convinced that God made the tear ducts in the eyes for a reason. And then it was kind of funny. He said, when you th- and it is funny. When you think about it, tears could have come out of anywhere, right? It's kind of funny, the eyes. Like, think about it. You know, the nose makes total sense. I mean, the nose runs anyway. You're like, no, that makes sense. Ears make sense. I mean, you could get creative and, you know, it could be like, <laughs> I think you're crying. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not crying. I don't know. You could, there's any, forgive me for that, but it just <laughs> felt right at the moment. Okay, it could have, I mean, it, it, tear, it's kind of funny when you think it comes out of the eyes. And so he says, I can't prove this, but I just think that perhaps God designed the tears to come out of your eyes because you were designed by God to have someone looking you in the eye when you're hurting and feeling their love. I like that. I mean, maybe, just maybe, God in his infinite wisdom allowed us to cry because someone else should be connecting with us eye to eye when we are breaking. Speaking of tears, I have a really cool workout partner. 22 years, we've been slinging weights together. Slinging weights together. Walking in the gym, making it happen, throwing it down. 
22. That's pretty cool to have a friendship that long. Getting jacked together. Right? 22 years, Paco, that's what I call him. And I have never cried together. Best friends, but gym friends, not cry friends. <laughs> right? The best kind, almost. Paco got something they called, uh, I guess it's tinnitus, extreme form, um, a couple months ago. If you have it, you know it. It's uh, a severe um, ringing in the ear that doesn't go away, doesn't stop, never stops, never stops. Some people say you have it, and then there's extreme cases, and he has the extreme case. And the doctor says there is no cure for it. There is nothing you can do. It's, um, some say it's the highest suicide rate because it never goes away. You can't sleep. You can't think. It just, it just yells at you and yells at you and yells at you and yells at you. And so I'll check on him every day, 72 hours, and he hasn't slept. You know, not at all. And it's, it's agonizing. So about two weeks ago, we're in a gym, and we're doing what we do. And Paco, John is his real name, John started crying. And next thing you know, I'm crying. And we're in the gym. And he said, this is the worst thing, and I knew. I mean, I, you know, I, I feel it because I'm trying to hold him up as best I can. Can't do anything, but I'm trying to be there for him. And he's like, it's the worst thing ever, and he's crying. He said, and I've never been closer to God in my whole life. Kind of interesting to me is John just started serving at his campus and just started a life group all since this happened. Never been closer to God. He's crying. He said, never been closer to my, my wife in my whole life, and he's crying. He says, People could do anything to me right now and it wouldn't hurt me because I just, I just have so much love in my heart. I just have so much love in my heart. And he's crying. And I'm crying. Next day, we're trying to lift weights again. And we're both crying. <laughs> and the next day, if I start getting flabby, it's all because John's a crybaby. <laughs> I'm working out at home today because I got to stay in shape. John calls. He's crying. And I'm crying. And he's never been closer to God. And we've been through everything with each other for 22 years. We've never been closer as friends. Because you impress people with strengths. But you connect through brokenness. So back when Gary said, uh, God will break you, I would have had the same exact response that almost everybody here is going to have. I don't want to pray that. Because at the time, I couldn't have known what I know now. Everything God has shown me on the other side of that broken moment. And just to make you feel better, being broken is not only just one moment, but it's an ongoing breaking as God breaks you of your own sinfulness and continues to teach you to depend on him. I had no idea at the time, but I'll say it and believe it and stand by it with all of my heart today that life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. 
I want to say it again, and you don't need to clap. I just want it to just sink in. That life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. And when Gary told me God would break me, I didn't realize the significance of that. And what I'm going to say now is my own theory. And when I look at the people in the Bible, this proves to be true. Peter, who said, Jesus, I'll never deny you, denied him three times. On the third time, Jesus is looking at Peter as Peter is denying him, and Peter broke. Peter also, after forgiven by Jesus after the resurrection, was chosen by God to be the guest speaker on the day of Pentecost. That was a pretty big gig. 3,000 people born into the family of God. Those whom God uses the greatest are often those who've been broken the deepest because God never, ever wastes a hurt. He never, ever wastes a hurt. So there are some of you right now, you don't want to be broken. You don't want to be broken. You're never going to pray this. That's, that's, that's okay. I mean, it's not, it's not, you don't have to pray this to be a follower of Jesus. There are some of you, though, you could preach this sermon better than me right now because you're in the middle of it, Okay. There's a group of you, and either right now or at some point, you're going to get to the place where you are breaking, and everything's crumbling around you, and you may be tempted to fight to keep it together. What I would say to you is just go ahead and fall on the rock and break. Just break. Just, just break like I broke and say, I need God, and I need his people, and I need more of his people, and I need, I need you, and, and, and I want to be there for you, and I need his Holy Spirit, and, and, and I, I don't care what anybody thinks. I just need you, God. When you get to that moment, and you will, life kind of guarantees it. You can either run to God, or unfortunately some people run from God. My greatest advice for you is just break wide open fully depend on God, and let him do a healing work for you. And understand this, this is not advanced Christianity. Honestly, it's Christianity 101. This isn't for like monks and missionaries and women who only wear skirts and wear their hair in buns, okay? <laughs> it's not, okay? This is, this is like, I'm coming to Jesus, break my body, break my sin, break me of me, that I could serve you, Jesus, with all of my life. I surrender it completely to you. The gospel is an invitation to come and die. Die to yourself so that Jesus can live through you. You see, when the sinful woman broke open the jar, she poured it all, symbolizing I'm giving you my whole life, broken and poured. When Jesus' body was broken, it was broken for you, and it was broken for me. And his blood was poured out that our sins might be forgiven. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. I can't prove it, but I believe it. That this doesn't just refer to a ritual. That this refers to let our lives be broken and poured out that we can serve Jesus with all of our hearts. Our mission at this church is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. I believe with all my heart that it, that represents the heart of God. The reality is many of us are what I would call not fully devoted followers of Jesus, but partially devoted followers of Jesus. We do it when it's convenient for us. If you find yourself at any point being partially devoted to Jesus, let me encourage you to consider praying a very dangerous prayer. 
God, break me so I could be fully dependent on you. Whatever it takes, God, I want to know you intimately and serve you faithfully. Because I trust you, God, do whatever it takes. Break me that I could know you. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.